The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Postseason Baseball. The Chicago White Sox begin their march to the World Series. Here to recap the big moments and analyzing the critical decisions is your favorite source of Chicago White Sox talk. This is the Sox Machine postseason show with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome everyone to Sox Machine live on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. I am Josh Nelson alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis as we are recapping game one of the American League Divisional Series between the Chicago White Sox and the Houston Astros. And it's not a good start for the 2021 postseason for the Chicago White Sox as they lose game one, six to one at Houston. And (laughs) Jim, I chuckle because there are a few narratives coming into this game, just looking at the numbers. And it ends up being that the narratives still hold true when analyzing these two teams, the White Sox and Astros. That is true. And, you know, in the recap, I tried to maybe not put a positive spin, but some positive context saying last year at the start of the 2020 wildcard series, the White Sox had the favorable script. They had Lucas Giolito. They they were facing Jesus Lazardo, a lefty. They went undefeated against lefties. It looked like the game they should have won. They won it pretty convincingly, four to one, but it was a game that was not really in doubt. Giolito handled business the entire time, and uh, they, they piled on runs early against Lazardo. It was fine. And then Oakland won next two, and that was it. So that's kind of how I look at this game is that the White Sox – yeah, if the White Sox needed to win this game to stand a chance in the series, like say if they were throwing their version of Lucas Giolito and the rotation drops off after him, um, then I would say, oops. <laughs> like, uh, you know, maybe we should open up the second half of our October plans. But in this case, like, it would have helped if they won it. It would have helped if they had a stronger showing against McCullers because they'll see him again probably before the series is over. But they could... Yeah, they could afford to lose this one or they had to they could plan around a loss and try to rally with game two. And if they come out of Houston with one win in the two games, they're still in good shape. Yeah. And looking at the box score for game one of the Chicago White Sox against the Houston Astros, uh, Tim Anderson and Yoan Makata, they both picked up hits. Uh, Yoan Makata reached base twice as he 
had a hit and a single. Jose Abreu, who's questionable for this game, but Tony LaRusso put him in the lineup. He was the DH. He went two for four. He drove in the only run for the White Sox. Uh, Yasmani Grandal went 0 for 4 with the strikeout. Uh, Luis Robert reached base three times. He had two hits and was hit by a pitch. Aloy Jimenez, we'll get to him in a moment. He was 1 for 4, and he struck out twice looking. Gavin Sheets went 0 for 4. Adam Engel went 0 for 4. And Lurie Garcia went 0 for 3. So for the White Sox, bottom third, uh, as we spoke about on the Twitter Space pregame show, uh, hoping they would get some offense. The White Sox got no offense from the bottom third as they went combined 0 for 11. Looking at the White Sox offensive effort, because I think when recapping this game, and we'll get to Lance Lynn and uh, Lance McCullers and how well McCullers threw against the White Sox in a moment. But this is where our fear was, if this if the White Sox season doesn't end in a World Series title, it's going to be because the offense, which has been feast or famine for a while, uh, is going to have a day like we saw today. They had plenty of base runners. Uh, they had nine base runners in this game, and they score one run. Uh, and even in the seventh inning, where they got three hits off Lance McCullers finally, they didn't score because of the sequence of the hits. Yasmani Grandal grounds into a double play. With a Geico uh, ad in the middle. <laughs> with a Geico ad in the middle. We'll get to the commercials <laughs> in a moment during the broadcast. But but the, the, it, this is the offensive performance and output today that should scare you as a White Sox fan. Yes, they have a lot of potential, but this is when they're most frustrating is when they're scattering these opportunities and they're just not able to get that additional hit or get that extra base hit uh, to do big damage. That That's what was missing in game one for the White Sox for me. Before the game in our Twitter spaces, I think I was the only one to predict a score and I thought the White Sox would lose 5-2 to two, just based on the matchup, based on what we knew, I kind of felt like Lynn would pitch a little bit better than he did, but also you just, the Astros would bog him down a little bit. Like I was thinking three runs over five innings and then maybe you know, the front end of the bullpen gives up a, a something and a couple runs come late, whether it's at the end of McCullers start or against the bullpen, but it's just not enough to really put a scare into Houston. And so it uh, just kind of fizzles. So Seeing the White Sox perform the way they did against McCullers, where uh, just singles, singles, soft singles, you know, Robert could have actually been three for three. The, you know, who knows that that error that he reached on might be called a hit because that was a tough scoring decision uh, yeah. by the Houston scorer. But either way, it's just an infield single. That's the case where if it were against, like, say, Framber Valdez or against uh, Jose Urquidy or something like that then I, I think you would be more alarmed at the shape of the production saying, well, you know, they got to do more damage against uh, pitchers they should handle. But it was McCullers, and and he is basically lab-designed to shut down the White Sox offense. Like, they don't have – they can't count on ever seeing a fastball from him. Uh, he throws uh, sliders, but he also you – know, he throws sliders and curveballs, but he also gets ground balls uh, at nearly you know, a league-leading rate. Uh, for a starting pitcher. So that's, uh, you know, coming from the right side, that's the kind of pitcher that can give the White Sox fits. So it worked out basically the way I thought. And I still, you know, I predicted the White Sox to win the series because uh, just 
I still think they have enough to win the series, but I did bank in struggles against McCullers along the way. So that's why I think it's alarming on one hand because it did materialize the way you thought and they will have to face McCullers before the series is over again and fare better against him. But because it was McCullers on the mound, I'm not scared or panicking yet. I think Valdez uh, in game two should be a lot more indicative of just whether the White Sox offense has really come to play. Yeah, and let's go into what a lot of people are going to be talking about, especially the city of Chicago. Uh, when talking about game one, Lance Lynn struggles again against Houston. And looking at the box score of Lance Lynn, uh, he went three and two-thirds innings. He allowed six hits, five earned runs, two walks, and he struck out four. For the White Sox bullpen, uh, the combination of Renato Lopez, Garrett Crochet, and Jose Ruiz, hat tip to those guys. They only allowed one earned run, and that was a home run from Jordan Alvarez off of Lopez. Uh, after that home run, they were able to keep Houston at bay, uh, which was impressive and a bit surprising. Uh, but Jim, again, the narrative. Lance Lynn has a terrible time against this Houston Astros team. Why do you think it went wrong again for Lynn? Well, he threw 74 out of 76 pitches for fastballs of some variety, four-seamer, sinker, cutter. And my guess is that Houston, with its low strikeout rates, good walk rate, you know, league-leading in both, or usually league-leading or close to it in both you know, for years running, I just, I'm guessing they're not phased by it and they can just string together enough at bats and make him work harder and, and, and work outside the zone or feel like he needs to work uh, on the edges more versus mm -hmm. like a pitcher who just, you know, like with Lynn's stuff might be, you know, theoretically able to throw in the middle of the plate and let the natural movement carry it to the, carry it to the corners or away from the sweet spot. And in his case, just without a really the threat of like a devastating breaking ball or a, or a really good change of pace uh, that they're on guard for just the swings might be more comfortable and they might, you know, they just have a, a good lineup of hitters one through seven, uh, especially when like uh, Maldonado is, uh, you know, <laughs> Maldonado's ninth. Uh, yeah. You can overlook him, but like one through seven, one through eight, they're strong and they get the job done. So I think it just might be a bad matchup for Lynn to where either he has to pitch, go away from his strengths, which is the variety of fastballs. And, and you know, I guess it's the idea that pitching coaches talk about my strength versus your strength or my weakness versus your weakness. And Lynn chooses his strength the way that a lot of pitchers do because generally I think competitors rather go with what they're confident in. But it's hard to make it work against uh, that deep of a lineup for you know that you know, many innings, that many pitches. Eventually, you know, the, the stress becomes more than he could absorb and, and mistakes become amplified. And that's kind of how it unfurled. Moving forward for Lance Lynn, the individual, because he's still going to have to face this Houston Astros lineup in 2022 and beyond as long as that he's under contract with the White Sox. You mentioned the strength versus strength, and there could be a little stubbornness but mm -hmm. after this start, do you think that he is going to be willing to to make some drastic changes? Because the numbers don't lie. It mm -hmm. is bad. It, it's really bad for Lance Lynn against these Houston Astros hitters. I think in 
a five game series where, especially if he's pitching like say game four, or game five, uh, elimination game, I imagine it's easier to change your mind or try something different if it's abundantly clear what you're doing. Uh, you know, three days before didn't work or three games before didn't work. When you're facing the Astros twice in a year and maybe they come months apart, it's probably easier to, you know, maybe just uh, write off one bad start as uh, didn't have it that day. Or in the case of his start in Houston, the defense let him down and things snowballed. And in one inning where Moncada threw home and he probably shouldn't have, probably should have taken the out at first, that cost an extra run. And that's the kind of mistake, the extra out that he can't really probably absorb or overcome as easily against the Houston lineup that sees him well. Uh, it's probably a lot easier just to shrug off those mistakes and, and try to you know reframe your competitive mindset months later and, and trust that your stuff will win out. But I think when you have a start that is pretty clear <laughs> it just it's it's tough sledding for him with fastballs i imagine you have to see some kind of concession to that you know he's not gonna you know pitch backwards he's not gonna throw like a slider 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 uh you know in the uh, mid 80s and junk ball his way through i don't think you're gonna see that and so probably not wise if he did but i imagine you'll see some sequences that are different some maybe if not 74 or 76 like maybe 60 55 out of 76 just more surprise pitches more maybe get me overs or strike ones to try to get himself into favorable counts versus getting behind good hitters that punish strikes especially fastball strikes so that's i think what you would see but it does you know it, i think it does give tony Larusa some uh something to think about when it comes to just whether to try to go to lynn for two games or whether to use Dylan Cease and Carlos Rodon on separate days. Yeah, I'm now in the camp of, I don't think you could have Lance Lynn face the Houston Astros again this series. It's just, that's how much confidence I've lost now watching Lynn struggle a couple times against Houston and then looking back at his past performances when he was with the Texas Rangers. The Astros have a good book on Lance Lynn. They have a good game plan against Lance Lynn and it continues to work for them. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what adjustments Lance Lynn can make in four days to give everyone confidence and maybe confidence for himself and his manager, Tony La Russa, to be trotted out there if, if this series goes five games. Uh, and, and, that would, and that poses a question that a lot of folks have is going back to who should have started game one, Lance Lynn or Lucas Gilito. I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but do you still think that is a controversy? Do you think that the White Sox made a mistake having Lance Lynn go game one against Lance McCullers? Uh, well, you know, I first guessed or when I put together a rotation plan, I wanted Gilito pitching game one just because I wanted him to have the shot at pitching twice over Lynn. You know, or having the first opportunity to pitch twice in a series if it seemed like a good idea. Um, so I think I'm not second guessing or, um, you know, do any kind of revisionist history to say that was my choice. Um, the, I guess the one silver lining is that you could say that if Giolito pitched well, like through a quality start against the Astros, like six innings, three runs, that might not have been good enough. Um, especially with the way McCullers pitched, like maybe you would just be throwing a good start down the drain. You'd have Lynn coming back. Uh, you'd have Lynn coming on game two and maybe not giving the White Sox a chance against a lesser pitcher and they lose six to five instead of six to one or something like that. So uh, the way it worked out, um, 
yeah, on one hand, six to one, it's a game where you think, oh, they're outclassed. They, they got run off the field. But when you look at who they have left, uh, which is Gilito in uh, game two, and if you liked him for game one, you should really like him for game two. That should be a pretty good situation against Framber Valdez. They're still in a good position to leave Houston with one win in two games, which I think is you know, what they want to do. I think they, they want to go into that blackout game in game three, uh, not feeling if your back's up or against the wall and fans being fully into it, fans not being, you know, like say if, say if it's uh, they, they go into Chicago down 2-0 and Houston scores three in the first two innings and the, the crowd's going to be knocked out of it. I think if it's 1-1, yep. uh, there's not going to be that panic in the stands. So I think no matter, you know, I guess no matter what order it takes, uh, just getting out of Houston with one win is really what's important. And Giolito against Valdez is better suited to do that than Giolito versus McCullers. Well, for Lance Lynn, we'll see if he makes another start in this divisional series. Moving over to the Houston Astros pitcher, Lance McCullers. He threw over 100 pitches, Jim. And I got asked this question on Twitter. Is McCullers going to start game four for Houston? I'm not sure. This was a pretty heavy workload. And I guess for Dusty Baker, you know, he felt comfortable having McCullers. He almost went through seven innings. He went six and two-thirds innings against the White Sox. Uh, allowed four hits, didn't walk anyone, struck out four. Uh, not a lot of strikeouts from Lance McCullers in this start mm-hmm. against the White Sox. The White Sox were able to put the ball in play but not make that impressive contact, uh, not hard contact against Lance McCullers. Do you think we could see McCullers again in game four? I think it's possible. I think the Houston Astros, I think their depth isn't, so dire that they need him to a pitch in game four if like they're up two to one and they don't need to win that game. I think they'd rather have him fully rested. But you know, I think back to the uh, ALCS against the Yankees in 2017 where McCullers threw a four inning save and just came out the bullpen and did that. He's has some experience coming out of the bullpen, uh, being a fireman, especially uh, in October. So we could see him at some point. Like if they, if, if uh, it's a slug fest and, and Dusty Baker feels like it's his best option to get out of that game uh, with, uh, you know, McCullers putting out the fire, you could see it. Uh, but it would seem like you'd see him if they're down one, two, not uh, two, one, especially like say if the White Sox offense still can't get it going against lesser uh, pitchers. And they're just, you know, eking by in the one game they won. I don't think it would be that pressure to use McCullers on short rest. Um, however, you know, I, I think if the White Sox show up against Valdez, like I think they can and show up in the blackout game, the first of the blackout games, I should say, uh, then I, I think the way I would phrase it is that like they're going to face McCullers twice. They should do what they can to make sure the second one is when he's not fully rested, fully recovered, might be compromised and see if they fare any better that way. That is true. I mean, I think if McCullers were to come back in game four, let's say if the White Sox win the next two games and McCullers is going out there to try to save Houston's season to keep it alive, I don't think he throws 103 pitches, uh, especially with his injury history. You put him at risk if you even make it to the American League Championship Series, if you're the Houston Astros, or put him at risk of, you know, suffering injury time in 2022. Uh, so I, I guess the silver lighting is that McCullers had a heavy workload today, throwing over 100 pitches uh, when the game was in hand. And I, I guess we'll see. We'll see. I mean, McCullers is no stranger to pitching on short rest. He's done it before for Houston, uh, but it cost him 
a, an entire season uh, due to injury, having that type of heavy workload. So we'll see. But I agree with you, Jim. If McCullers does pitch game four, I'm thinking maybe like 60 pitches, not 100. Uh, the way that McCullers throws against the White Sox, that yeah. might be good enough for four or five innings. Well, for 100 pitches, they were pretty easy. Like, I was surprised this pitch count was that high because he had some single-digit pitch innings. <laughs> had two of them, in mm-hmm. fact. Uh, and, and even then, like, he was, I think his highest pitch count was maybe 20-something, like low 20s. And so he wasn't really stressed at any point. Um, and it wasn't like a cumulative stress. It, it was he peaked in the middle of a start when it came to pitch counts and then eased up towards the end. So if it's shaped like that to where he's throwing 15 pitches or fewer in an inning, uh, then I could see him just going until he's actually you know, the White Sox force him out of the game. And right, the way uh, this game uh, unfolded, they didn't force him out into the seventh. And I, I don't think, you know, McCullers needed to leave the game when he did. Just more of a matter of like, uh, it's the postseason. We're going to need him for starts down the line. So no need to tax him. But uh, if they if, if uh, it wasn't game one and or if like, say, uh Dusty didn't like his bullpen as much or didn't want to get guys involved in the series to get them some reps. You might have seen McCullers finish that inning. I don't think the workload had much to do with it. Um, but uh, if they can make him, you know, that's why I think if he comes back on short rest and just isn't as sharp, you know, walks guy, walks two guys, uh, you know, plunks a couple. Like then then I could think you, I think you could see like just hoping for four or five innings from him and then patch it together from there but this was pretty easy for him and i don't think it dictated any kind of shortened plan on its face or like you know from the get-go i I think they would just let the white Sox dictate how long he stays in the game and if it's like uh this game he could go six we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Uh, let's talk about a critical decision in this game. And it happened in the fourth inning. Uh, Houston had a runner on first and Lynn was now facing the lineup for the third time, the danger zone. And Jose Altuve doubled down the left field line to put runners on second and third with two outs. And Michael Brantley 
was now batting. And we have talked about it often on just how Brantley continues to kill the White Sox in his career, and especially this season in a Houston Astros uniform. And Jim, I find this to be a critical decision because at this point, it just, it was apparent that Lance Lynn didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the, you know, situations, especially early in the game, uh, when you're starting pitchers facing the third time to the order, I get it. It's only the fourth inning, but I, this is a critical decision that I want to bring to the table because mm-hmm. even going into tomorrow, let's say if Lucas Giolito struggles and his pitch count is high and he faces the same situation against Michael Brantley, I get it that it's one of your horses in the starting rotation, but this is the postseason. If you have an opportunity to keep it within three runs, keep it within three runs and bring in the lefty to face Michael Brantley to get out of that jam. I, I, I did not understand why Larusa kept Lance Lynn and of course Brantley singles up the middle. Two runs scored, and now instead of a three-run game, it's a five-run lead for Houston, and it really pops the balloon of enthusiasm for all White Sox fans watching the game. Did Larusa mismanage that situation in the fourth inning? That's a case where if they're looking at Brantley's first two at-bats where he had like an ordinary ground ball, weak ground ball for a routine out, then bunted the second time through, which was unusual, like just understood the... The idea of trying to bunt for a hit, but it didn't work uh, and gave away an at-bat. And and Brantley's coming off uh, a knee issue, and he's had a pretty mediocre, at best, uh, August and September. And Alex Bregman's behind him. Like Under those conditions, I can see where pitching to Brantley makes more sense than usually does on its face. I think the one thing watching that single go through, like he got a single on the ground as well hit, but it was, you know, on the ground. The problem might've been with runners on second and third and, and not being able to shift the defense the way they might when the bases are empty, when you have three infielders on the right side, like it went through a, a hole that probably uh, Tim Anderson's at, if there's only a runner on first, that's a case where maybe it just doesn't make sense there because the odds of a hit are so much greater when you can't have your defense shaped exactly how you want to, to uh, uh, thwart Brantley's ground ball tendency. So it made some sense just based on the, the contact not being great or the contact being in the ground. Like he's not getting around at balls. He's not really hasn't been a threat at the plates for a few weeks now. Uh, so that's why I think it made more sense than usual, but it, it does speak, I think, going forward um, when it comes to, like, say, Lance Lynn. That's the kind of at bat where you point to you say, like, well, you know, what's the point of this guy pitching twice in this series? <laughs> just that, that's kind of that you go back to and say, nah, it's just uh, if he doesn't get swings and misses in the zone or can't get pop ups or just, you know, on those situations where he needs a strikeout and he's not going to get the swings and misses, like, I think you need probably a guy who gets more swings and misses, more pop-ups, uh, especially with a guy like Brantley. So that's, I think, where, like you said, either going to the lefty like Crochet early um, gets it done or walking him and facing Bregman with the bases loaded. Uh, I think that's another option, which isn't great, but at least you get the handedness on your side. You get the um, – you, you don't have Brantley hitting to an unshifted uh, side of the field, which I think is uh, you know benefits Brantley more than maybe Bregman, who has a normal defensive alignment. And, and having the runners on base doesn't really affect anything. So 
that's, I think, the one thing that, you know, having seen it play out the way it did, made me think, eh, maybe do that differently one way or another just because of how open that right side was. But Brantley itself, you know, just his recent condition looking at his numbers, like, doesn't quite scare me the way he did during the regular season. So I understand, like, if they want to attack him, but maybe Lynn's just not the guy third time through who can really be counted on to attack the Astros. And that's why I keep saying it's the third time Lynn is facing Brantley. And the third time he faces Altuve, he doubles down the left field line. And it's just clear that he doesn't have it, uh, especially with what we saw in the previous two innings where the struggle started to, to come and Houston was getting into a rhythm facing Lynn a second time through the order. That's where Larusa and I get it. Lynn is one of your aces. He's one of your workhorses. You want to continue to ride him as far as you can. But I feel like that was a situation that Garrett Crochet needs to come in. And Crochet did come in in a similar situation, uh, facing a lefty uh, with two outs and didn't get the job done. And mm-hmm. that extended his outing. Uh, so it's not saying that Crochet would have gotten the job done. Yeah, that was Brantley. <laughs> Yeah, that was Brantley. Yeah. Uh, but I, in that particular situation, that's when I think Larusa should have pulled Lynn. Because uh, if you do get a ground ball that's hit directly at Garcia or a strikeout, if it is Crochet, walking out of that situation, only being down 3 nothing, still gives you hope uh, within the game that maybe the White Sox bullpen can capitalize against the Houston Astros bullpen. Um but yeah, that that's that was one critical decision because outside of that, I mean, Houston won comfortably uh, today against the Chicago White Sox six to one, and really all the White Sox can do, and maybe White Sox fans, uh, is just flush this game down the toilet, just chalk it up to the White Sox have a terrible time against Lance McCullers, and the Houston Astros have a great time against Lance Lynn, and uh, hope for better things in Game Two which we'll talk about here in a moment, but I I can't help but talk about this particular topic and it's the broadcast itself, Jim. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you like commercials? Because if you do, this was the baseball broadcast for you. (laughs) Yeah. It's like they, they, uh, you know, during the games when they have like the two screens, they have the commercial playing on one between pitches. It's almost like the, you know, I, I, Having been in online media and just seeing just how they try, yeah, how online ads just try to shove stuff over content, just like, oh, maybe let's just have this pop out over the article you're reading and, and the revenue will be enough to annoy your readers. <laughs> it felt like <laughs> those innings felt like bad websites, just, uh, you know, ads just jumping out over what you're watching and not, you can't find the X to click off them. <laughs> so the, seeing the, uh, I forget what it, uh, ads were in the first inning. I just remember the, uh, cause that was when I was still trying to figure out if like my streaming was working. <laughs> Everybody like, was oh. doing that. Yeah. I mean, it was like, oh, it was, it was, uh, just like my connection, not great. So do I need to reset my router. <laughs> so that's what I thought I was, what, uh, was dealing with. But yeah, when, by the time the, uh, the, the Geico uh, lizard popped up, over Grandal's double play, that's where I realized like, this is still going on. <laughs> you know what? It was perfect though, because as soon as I saw that ball hit to Altuve on the ground and it's Grandal running, it's like, yeah. oh, this is a double play, and it pops up the guy come like perfect. I don't need to see this car accident because well, I know how this squeeze. ends. Maybe they thought they could squeeze in an ad before Grandal got down the first baseline. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, just terrible. Not not a good broadcast for Fox Sports One. I, there's a lot about the job that Adam Amin and AJ Pruszynski did. I thought they did a good job. The White Sox are not giving them a lot to talk about positively, uh, especially early in that game. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that are like, well, they're like Houston homers. I, I want everybody to stop and think about that for a moment. AJ Pruszynski, okay, not a Houston homer. Adam Amin is the voice of the Chicago Bulls, and he comes from Addison, Illinois. They're not Houston homers. It's just that the Astros were giving them more things to talk about, and they're trying to be you know, balanced uh, during the broadcast. If the White Sox started hot, it would have been flipped, and Houston people would have been really upset, and they would have figured out, oh, it's two Chicago guys calling the mm -hmm. game. So, um, yeah, it was, I, I, no I thought they were fine. That. I, I thought, uh, you know, I think Pierzynski is pretty good. And, and I like that he follows up on his own thoughts. Like he, you know, kind of goes along with sequences and tries to anticipate like, like Stone does, you know, uh, trying to anticipate the good pitches, calling them as uh, what he would call. And then, you know, following up into why it worked or why it didn't. Um, yeah. The, we, I'm looking at the comments and yeah, in the first inning, uh, you know, I mean, got off to a shaky start when he said that, uh, the White Sox defense had below average numbers because Robert was absent and also Jimenez wasn't out there and left either. And I thought that's <laughs> not quite right. And then he's going around the horn and said Angle was decent and right. And like, no, like <laughs> Angle missed you. Know, Angle missing uh, half the season did more to damage the White Sox outfield metrics more than anything else. So he had that out of order. But over the course of the rest of the game, I didn't notice anything terribly off information wise like and, and that's certainly what i go with like if if they're wrong about the white Sox, then i can't trust what they're saying about houston because i don't know houston as well so i'm counting on them delivering good information based on what they yeah i'm, I'm using the white Sox as their bar for the kind of research they've done and outside of the first stumble where i thought this could be shaky <laughs> like if they start <laughs> emphasizing the quality of jimenez's defense and and uh, going from there uh but ultimately it was fine like i didn't they were easy to easy enough to ignore if anything else like which i think is also a positive like i think if if you can tune them out and just focus on the action and the uh the pitch sequences and contact and defensive alignments and such and the camera show you what you, you want to see i i think that's more or less the the idea and that's why tbs you know watching the wild card game uh between the dodgers and cardinals that's why that was so frustrating because the camera work on TBS is generally terrible. And Fox, you know, as much as people might complain about Fox, because I think it's just they own October baseball and everybody's paying attention and nitpicking every mistake. Like generally they do a pretty good job with cameras, uh, angles, uh, ample viewings of what you want to see. So having those ads pop up was really uncharacteristic and sloppy of them and, and what you normally don't see from them. Usually you say that for TBS or ESPN or the other, you know, the, the, the channels, maybe MLB network that just don't have that many games and high profile games at that. Yeah. The next broadcast for the white Sox, which 
feeds into game two, and we're going to talk about that now. Uh, a little bit of a preview of the preview, because again, uh, for those that are on Twitter, uh, Jim and I will be hosting a Twitter Spaces pregame show. That's going to be at 12 p.m. Central Time, Friday, October 8th, so follow us on Twitter. Uh, we'll be doing that live an hour before the game, getting really into the weeds and breaking down game two of the American League Divisional Series. Um, but game two is going to be on MLB Network. Uh, if you don't have MLB Network, this has been a very popular question as of late. YouTube TV and FUBU TV, F-U-B-O, they are having free week trials, and they both carry MLB Network on their basic uh, subscription. So I recommend that you go sign up for YouTube TV or FUBU TV uh, so you get MLB Network and have it for a day so you can watch game two or go to your favorite drinking establishment that has cable or satellite and carries MLB Network so you can see game two between the Chicago White Sox and the Houston Astros. And Bob Costas will be the play-by-play -play guy for MLB Network for game two uh, between the White Sox and Astros. Yeah, that all could right, be so worse than oh, – Costas could be worse than a mean from what I've – he can, especially with Tony La Russa, the combination of Costas and Tony La Russa could have a lot of, uh, you know, kind of grumpy old men type uh, information going over the air. So as much as people might have criticized, I mean, I don't know if Costas is an improvement. So uh, beware. But yeah, I will be doing yeah, the Costas uh, is a yeah. Yeah, watching some of the Friday night broadcasts, it's bad when it's Costas and John Smoltz. Yeah, and that's, you, get two, you get two old guys. Who's with uh, Costas? I, one second. I do yeah. not know. Game two ALDS. Oh, man. All right. This is this makes for riveting. Yes. Jim Cott and Buck Walter. Cott's so Jim okay. Cott and Buck, Show, Buck Showalter yeah. calling the game. But still, a bunch of you're going to have a bunch of guys in uh, uh, Larusa's demographic, probably, and and Dusty Baker's too. He could have a lot of uh, uh, launch angle. Uh, why do why do they sell out for the homer like type stuff? Uh, that could be a little bit grating. So be aware for that uh, if you didn't like. But hopefully, you know, the idea will be that the White Sox will have better bats in the first innings of the game to actually give uh the you know the broadcast booth something to, to actually praise all right so game two between the chicago white Sox and the houston astros again first pitch is going to be at 107 p.m central time and i'm sure we'll get the white Sox lineup at like 12 30 p.m central time tomorrow because uh, <laughs> we only got it like at, within an hour of the first pitch uh, of for today's game one. Uh, Lucas Giolito and against Framber Valdez. Let's get ahead of this talking point now, Jim. Is this a must-win game for the White Sox? Technically, no. <laughs> they don't have to. Uh, I, I try to avoid using must-win just because... You can use that a lot. You can overuse it, and all of a sudden, like you have a must-win game in August to get out of a funk when they when they're leading the uh, uh, AL Central by seven games. I saw that pop up then, so it's. Uh, I would say on a scale of, I guess I, I rate must must wins on a scale of one to ten. This one's like an eight point five. Like That's this pretty one, high. Yeah, it is pretty, pretty high, high, just because it. I think it decides whether you see McCullers in a compromised state or not. Like okay, 
with if Houston comes to Chicago leading 2-0, like they have their pick of how they want to deploy their pitchers the rest of the way. They have the upper hand. The White Sox will be the ones scrambling. Uh, and then like just any, you know, when it comes like Dylan Cease or Carlos Rodon or whoever starts those games, like any bad inning could decide the series. So it's up there. It's not a must win because they can, you know, I think if you say must win and they lose, then we're going to talk about for <laughs> the game three, just be like, oh, this sucks. you know, just be spend an entire time just like moping and hitting our heads in our desk. So that's, that's why, yeah, you don't want to paint yourself in the corner calling it a must win. So I'd rather use the numerical scale for that. So I'd say 8.5 out of 10. All right. Well, that's, that's still pretty high. And I do agree with you. It is of utmost importance for the White Sox to win game two so they can steal one from Houston and they can go back home with an opportunity with two home games to clinch the series at their home ballpark. If they go down 2-0, you're going to hear a lot of, well, maybe the blackout game is going to be a funeral instead of a big party. And I really don't want to talk about that. That's so how it if, was in 2008. Uh, and they did stay alive for one more game, so at least they, it wasn't a complete bummer. Right. So I am hoping that Lucas Giolito really comes out, has a strong outing for the White Sox. But again, this is all about the White Sox offense. They have to start quicker. They got to score early against the Houston Astros and add some pressure. Because I thought they had good at-bats against the Houston relievers. And I'd like to see them get into the bullpen a lot quicker than they did today uh, against the Houston Astros. But again, first pitch for that game is going to be at 1.07 p.m. Central Time. The game broadcast is going to be on MLB Network. Jim and I will be hosting a Twitter Spaces pregame show at 12 p.m. Central Time. We will have Sox Machine live Friday night to recap Game 2. Saturday is the day off, and we'll have the pregame again on Twitter Spaces. Sunday, even though it is a 7 p.m. Central Time start, that Twitter Space pregame is going to be at 4 p.m. to give everyone an opportunity to make it to the stadium in time to get to their seats before first pitch uh, for the blackout game. And uh, it'll be a late night for Jim and I, but we'll be back on Sunday night, maybe Monday morning around midnight because uh, for we Sox care. Machine Live. Because we do care. We are nervous because we care, Jim. That's what I learned about Tony Russa. If you're nervous, it's because you care. And that is important. Hopefully... Hopefully the White Sox get a little bit extra nervous for tomorrow and they can channel that nervous energy to positive energy and they have a quick start against the Houston Astros in game two and be able to take one away from Houston before coming home. We look forward to speaking with everyone tomorrow. Thank you to everyone that watched the live stream on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Machine. And if you are not following us on Twitter, you can do so at Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Machine underscore Josh. And if you don't get an opportunity to watch the live stream on YouTube, we take the audio recording of every stream and uploaded into our podcast feed which you can describe to the socks machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and if you're a fan of our work and want more you can support us at patreon.com slash socks machine where we have several different tiers of support as our patreon supporters get exclusive content they also get an ad-free version of both the podcast and website and they get the first opportunity to purchase any of our new socks machine swag like the socks machine ball cap and the socks machine pint glasses so if you are interested and want more go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up today 
Socks Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I am Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com